Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. So hello and welcome to the Forest Educator Forest Spotlight on a couple of topics that I think could get us into the weeds a little bit. I'm going to loosely call these, you know, kind of like the maverick mindset versus the collaborative mindset. It's not really a versus, but it's just maybe two sides of a coin or or two parts of a pie or whatever you want to call it. And obviously there's probably seven other pieces of pie. So hopefully that's the case and it's not black or white. But the reason I'm going to mention that it could get a little weedy is because we oftentimes can really strongly identify with some of the underlying principles of of programs that we have learned in and evolved in. And I want to state very clearly that I am not making a judgment on any person or school of thought or philosophy in the sense of there being a valid way to connect with nature or in any way but I'm merely bringing this up as a topic of discussion because one, I've never heard anybody really talking about this specifically, and I think it's worth it. And you, you will tell me whether it's worth it, hopefully. And two, this is a very important aspect of forest education because it has a lot to do with how we move forward as a viable educational alternative in our world today. So that's the preference I'm putting it out there. I I just want to say, let's all buckle up. Like, just know that I have only the best intentions and I love all of you for doing whatever you're doing. And I I know people who are, they're, they're very, very diverse in what they do. And I appreciate all of you. So this is really about the evolution of you know how do we how do we create things and programs and curriculum that can actually fit into the dominant culture and and create fundamental change so that's where i'm coming from it's not an indictment in any way so keep that in mind <laughs> i appreciate that thank you so let's go here we're going to be talking about kind of primarily two different approaches but i in order for me to really share that i've got to share a story or my story a little bit to kind of help you understand how, how I'm getting this and that everything about what I'm going to share here is coming directly from my personal experience, having gone through multiple different types of trainings and programs with, you know, wonderful mentors and people who have very sincere, dedicated careers in teaching people to be close to the earth. And I learned a lot of it through my feet on the ground, observing what's going on as a result of my own training and my own schools and my own experiences teaching for the, you know, the last 35 years. So, so that's where I'm coming from. And we're, I'm just going to lay a little bit of that out for you just to help you understand it from the inside, you know, based on like the way I, I did it. So I had a typical nature teen experience. I saw in 1978, 79, you know, 82, whatever. I just saw the, the, the type of direction that we were going in as a culture with the uh, destruction and uh, impact on animals and pollution and, you know, our water, our air, all those things. 
were really in tough shape. And, you know, in many cases they still are. In some cases we've improved a lot, but since then, but I, in, as a teenager, I really felt like I took those things personally and I got really upset when teachers and educators would imply that like, Hey, Ricardo, this is going to be your job. You know, your job as a citizen is going to be to, to help change our culture, to be less destructive to nature and everything. And I remember just really, really feeling annoyed that they were saying that because, you know, my philosophy at that time was, <laughs> why is that my job? I'm 16 years old. I mow lawns uh, for a living, you know, uh, although I don't actually do much, just funded my comic book collection. But I, I mowed lawns. I lived in a really rural area. Like, what power do I have as a teen? And why am I having to do the job you guys did? Like, so you guys can pollute everything, but then it's going to be my job when I turn 25 or something. So I just felt really annoyed, angry, uh, hurt. You know, every time I'd see trash on the side of the road and, you know, just these kind of like dead areas outside of a city like that's industrialized and just, you know, garbage and, you know, abandoned mini malls and all these things just, it just broke my heart because I just felt like, what are we doing? Like, what are, where are we going? And I began to feel, I didn't do this consciously, but unconsciously, I really wanted to just get away from our culture. I wanted to get out in nature. In nature, I felt it was pure. It was beautiful. It was whole. It was the way we were meant to live, like the native people had for, you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of years, um, you know, living in a way which, which was not imminently destructive of the environment and the animals and everything. And that really was like the underpinning of my, of my existence at that time. And so I chose to join the, the California Conservation Corps. I, you know, built trails in the backcountry of some of the most beautiful places on the planet. I cleared streams for salmon in the northern uh, rivers and gorges up in uh, northern California. I, I rehabilitated, uh, you know, replanted and revegetated sand dunes in the central coast. I planted, you know, thousands and thousands of trees in uh, areas that have been burned in the Los Padres National Forest. I mean, the, the number of things that I did and uh, the type of work we did was was really uh, life changing. I got tremendous skills that I use to to this day. I highly recommend this. Just sorry, going to put a plug in for the CCC. And I felt great doing that work. I love doing that. I would get up early. I would stay late. I would do. I just excelled in that structure, and I just wanted to make a difference and do all that. And then I discovered Tom Brown. You know, I, I read his books. I flew out to New Jersey and spent time on his farm and then the Pine Barrens studying with him. And Tom introduced me to a completely different kind of a lifestyle and a philosophy and, and a nature-based immersion that I'd never had before. And so, you know, it would just be us and a, you know, a small group of people with Tom in the forest, sleeping in shelters we built, um, you know, carving things out of wood that we gathered, you know, just tracking animals endlessly through the sandy trails. I mean, it was it was a magical experience and I was in heaven. You know, I was just like this is the guy that I always have where was he when I was 7, when I was 10. He was giving me a direction and showing me how to do all these things. I I knew I wanted to get out 
and away from society, but I didn't know how to do it. You know, I was still tied to, you know, staying at someone's house and, you know, cooking food and in a, in a, on a stove and getting a refri- having a refrigerator. Like I was still dependent on all those things, but I just didn't want to be. And, and it, I felt that kind of push pull feeling. And so Tom was giving us this really clear direction. And he also gave us like a lot of his philosophy around, you know, like caretaking the environment and leaving it better and, you know, always doing the best that you can do with your skills because your life or someone else's life might depend on your ability to pay attention to those details. Like, in other words, you know, there are no sloppy survivalists that, that survive, you know, life and death challenges. You just literally just have tragedy. So, you know, you have people that didn't make it. So the way he kind of was able to present this really helped me feel pretty good. And I just loved doing it. My body felt good sitting in the sand, swimming in the tannic streams of the Pine Barrens, you know, with all the cedar trees and the oaks and everything. And then where, wherever I went, I started learning and passionately uh, reading field guides and just growing my skills and just really enjoying this, this connection. And then I started teaching. And as I started teaching, not only did I teach the skills and all the things that we did, but I started to teach some of that philosophy as well. And what I realized was that when you teach children or adults or, or anyone, very often you teach not only the conscious things that you think you're teaching, but you also teach the unconscious patterns that you have that were laid in you by your parents, by your other teachers, by other people. And so I started to see that my staff and some of my campers over the years were really exhibiting not only the wonderful, the wonderful parts of what we did, but also some of the philosophy they were starting to emulate and just exhibit those uh, qualities as well. And it's very different when you see it actually in right in your, right in your face. It's very different, especially if you're in the woods and there's only like 10 or 15 of you and you're all hanging out together for a week, you really get that reflection in a very strong way. And what I realized was that, so Tom would share things like how we um, have to make changes as a society, but he also had elements in his books, which you can really see it in his books and his writing, where he would say and imply certain things. He didn't necessarily say it outright, but he would say things like, oh, modern man doesn't understand the ways of the forest. And then he would say something like, you know, I looked out over the mindless gray masses, meaning like the people that aren't, that aren't thinking and aren't feeling. And, and I'm just like scanning all of them and seeing nothing. Like there was a dehumanizing aspect of some of the ways he would talk about it, which I didn't at the time. I just, I got what he went, what he was trying to say, which is sometimes you do feel like you're in a sea of people that don't get it. Right. I totally get that. But what I realized was that I, there was a number of things that he was, was sharing about and the way he would tell the stories that led me either both, you know, overtly and unconsciously to kind of see what we were doing as special. What we were doing was something that only a few people really could do. We were better than the masses. You know, obviously, when you look out over the mindless gray masses, you're like, okay, the implication is we're better because we're living outside of society and we 
we have the true, we're following the true path, you know, which honestly may be true. I don't know. <laughs> so, but the point here is, is that it, it was a, it was very much a, a feeling of being an individual, not part of that big collective and, you know, being outside of the paint. Like, in other words, like, Hey, you can't blame us. We we're not part of them. We're not with them. Right. And from that, I realized that one of the elements that I, that, that I unconsciously kind of took away was this idea of, oh, because we're outside of society, then we really don't need to follow society's rules, you know, because we, we're special and, and we're just outside of it. So why should we? I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I still tried to keep the speed limit. I, I followed the majority of the, of the rule. I don't remember any major rules that I'm, that I'm really thinking about breaking, but. But the idea is that we were following like natural law. So when Tom says something about natural law, you kind of think like, oh, well, natural law is better than society. And, uh, and that's the part that I believe in. So therefore, um, you know, he didn't come out and say that, but those are the implications that I started making. And so that kind of fits into this maverick mindset that I, that I think I'm, you're, you're probably picking up on what I'm saying in this and that that maverick slash rebel slash revolutionary person that identity really became my identity and so i really was in a way not just sharing hey here's how to make a, a shelter in case you need one and it's cold at night or hey here's a way to make a fire if you ever don't have matches like i was also unconsciously building in my work with children this idea of we are going to be a tribe of people who are special and we are going to be a, a group who gets it. And we, we will be the, you know, the ones that will make it if something bad happens in, in society or something like that. And I mean, I'm laughing about it just because it's, I feel awkward even saying it because there's a part of me that I know that that was what I felt inside you know, kind of buried down. It was not something that I was just spewing out all the time. It, the way even just talking about this makes me feel uncomfortable because it kind of feels like what I'm implying is, is that I was just like indoctrinating everyone with all this dogma. And, and that's not the case. However, we did have some of that, that feeling, that maverick approach, that maverick mindset really infiltrated some of what my teachings and some of the ways that I went about um, you know, running programs and connecting with people and, and, and finding common ground because a lot of people that are attracted to like some of the nature programs are for the most part, they, they feel that too. I mean, again, we don't talk about it so much, but it was a way in which we kind of felt like, Hey, we're the same people. We, we get it. Uh, yeah. So, so that maverick mindset was there. And as I tracked through it, as I started to see children in my programs begin to do that, like just as an example, I'll give you a story as an example, but early on in my teaching, uh, we, we would take children into our program for a week or two weeks long camps. And we would just give them this most incredible immersive experience that you could, you could imagine. It was just beautiful. Like, you know, just campfires at night, fireflies and, blackberries and, you know, a good pot of stew or soup or something that is enjoyed with a circle of friends, lots of jokes and fun and, and people having a good time and people learning new skills and just, just like beautiful, fine people 
living out in nature, feeling good. I mean, it was like really powerful. And then I remember getting phone calls from parents that would say, Hey, my daughter won't sleep inside the house. She's on a, she's sitting out on the deck and she says that she can't be in the house. It's too restrictive. And then she would say, can you talk to her and see, get her to come inside? You know, one, one parent called me and said, Oh, my daughter's in a tree and she won't come down. She says she doesn't want to live in the city anymore. And she doesn't want to come down until we agree to move to a country and, and live on a farm or something like, like I suddenly started to realize like, wow, I think maybe we're taking them too far. I think not so much that that wonderful experience was, was, is we're not going to try to get to that place. We are. But I started to realize, oh, there's there's things that I'm building into our program that maybe I need to also reflect the positive things about our culture, you know, so that in other words, a couple of days before the program would end, I would say, hey, are you going to go see that new movie that's coming out? Or, hey, where, what other camps are you going to? Like, I would just try to help them presence and remember that, yes, we're here at Hawk Circle, but this experience is starting to wind down how do I help you transition so that you don't just show up with your parent, your parents don't just show up and you jump in the car and then go. And all of a sudden you're having this real jarring experience where you're suddenly like going really fast and, and you're just feeling like, Oh no, I'm losing my, my circle of the closest friends that really understand me. And we're the only ones and all that sort of thing. And, and I saw this also with my staff, my staff would oftentimes say things like, oh, I could never live in a city. Oh, I can't stand cars. Oh, I don't like going to school. I'm never going to college. Or like they would just say certain things that I know came from a place where they felt safe to express themselves. And they also felt that those authentic feelings, which are good. But I also had to have discussions with them and say, hey, these people, these young people are, you know, 12, 13, 14. They live there and they don't have the choice to move somewhere else. So we don't necessarily need to burden them unduly with carrying the weight of, you know, the shame of living in one of those places. Like we don't want them to feel bad about where they live. And, you know, and, and we don't need to even talk about anything like that. We can just be focused on what they're doing and what we're doing. And we don't, maybe that's just something we don't have to share with them. We can talk about it as staff ourselves. And they, they agreed and got that. But those are some of the things that I started to see that there were, there was this like maverick mindset of this idea that, oh, we're going to live outside of society. We're going to follow natural law. We're going to, you know, have a lot of these strong emotions, which are valid. But there's, you know, like, like the thing that we realized was that as I also would see other instructors that would come by or I would, you know, get to know over these years and many of them. They never missed an opportunity to put down society while promoting what they do. So they would go, Hey, we're going to be doing this program. And if you ever want to, you know, get out of the, of the concrete jungle and come here, like, like, or they would say like, yeah, modern schooling doesn't get it. Or the public schools are horrible. Or, you know, they would just say these kind of blanket statements that were were kind of like implying very directly that they had the answer and that everybody else, everything else was, was horrible. And it was like, you know, they were doing, you know, terrible things. You know, they were consciously plotting to destroy our families or whatever. And I, I started to see and feel 
that some of what these folks, when they would say that, I, I would just see how that would get in the way of them getting future students. So they would complain to me on one hand and say, oh, I'm not getting enough students in my program. Hey, what, what, do, you, what do you do, Ricardo? And, I, and then I would say, well, t- first off, I wouldn't be putting down anybody for where they live, what jobs they do or whatever, because A, it's none of my business, and B, you might be turning them off. I know you think you're getting traction by throwing the public school or the hospitals or the whatever that that's helping you to position your program as the best or the alternative. But I said, honestly, a lot of people are nurses. A lot of people are doctors. A lot of people are teachers. And a lot of people, even if you're not one of those things, can sense that you have this like deep-seated anger and disdain for the society. And they may be reluctant to want to spend a week in the woods with you or or even a week, a long weekend. And, you know, so I would kind of try to adjust, you know, talk to them about that a little bit and go say, Hey, you know, it's fine if you feel those things. I mean, I feel that too, in some ways, but I started to realize that, that, that maverick mindset could get in the way. And I also saw the maverick mindset, this kind of individualistic thing go where it, it does appeal to ego. There is an, an ego appeal, which is like, Hey, I can, I can be better than everybody else because I know how to make a fire without matches. I know how to track a weasel over a concrete driveway, you know, like, oh, I can do these things. So therefore, part of the reason that I'm doing them is so that I can be better than everyone else. And I remember at the tracker school one time I was there and I I should say one time, I'm like very often when, when I would be there, there would be somebody that would come out and they would just be like, oh, let me show you the buckskin I'm doing, Ricardo. And I was kind of a buckskin guy. So I would almost always bring a bunch of hides down and I'd be as a helper at the class and as a, as an assistant instructor. And so I'd always be like demoing a bunch of different stages of hide, hide tanning, you know, that people could kind of check in and out of during the program or in between breaks. And what was interesting was that somebody would come in, they would roll out their buckskin and they would show me what they made. And they would go, Ricardo, I'm so, I've been so waiting to come back and share all this with you. I'm so excited. And, and I would see their buckskin and, you know, like some of it around the neck would be all crunchy and hard. And some of it would be really, really soft. And some of it was like, oh, you didn't get all the grain off here. And that's why this didn't kind of fluff up enough. But they were so proud of what they did. They worked, worked on it on their own. They, it was their first hide or their second or third hide. And, and I would, be just enjoying it with them and go, wow, this is really great. You know, where'd you get the hide from and how long did it take you? And I would just be like, be in that moment with them. And there would be one or two or sometimes more than that people that would come by and go, oh, well, did you use a knife to carve, you know, to cut that or a steel scraper, you know, like, or they would say like, uh, they would say things that implied that, you know, if you use steel, then that's not as not primitive. And if it's not primitive, then it's not that it's not that good. So they would be applying kind of a purity standpoint. A few years later, one guy was there and he was like, look, I, I, I made this whole tin, this whole hide with bone. I used a bone scraper and I used a bone knife to cut the little things and, you know, rack up the hide and stretch it out and everything. And another person came by and said, well, well, how did you soak it? And he goes, what do you mean? I soaked it in water. And he goes, well, did you use a bucket? And he's like, yeah. And he goes, was it a plastic bucket? Like in other words, he was creating this like level of, of 
of purity and skill, which granted, you know, if somebody wants to take it to that level and go, Hey, I, I, I can't rest. I have a passion to make deer hides using only primitive methods, only being primitive, you know, like I'm only going to eat, you know, venison that I harvested myself and wild cattails while I'm tanning using only and living in a, in a wigwam or whatever it is. To me, that's awesome if they want to do that. But there's this negative thing of why, you know, why rain on this other person's parade? They're clearly trying to, you know, learn and feel good about themselves. <laughs> and, and so there was this element of egotistical kind of stuff that happens at, in, a, in a way too. And so I, I, you know, I remember just kind of like talking with them and saying, hey, you know, it's all good, man. Like, I usually turned it around. Hey, well, have you made hides with that? Or have you done, have you done that? What, what have you used besides a plastic bucket? And sometimes they give you really good ideas. And sometimes it would just be like, well, I haven't done it, but you know, but I just think that it should be done that way or whatever. And again, it's, it's a sort of a subtle way to build and get traction in order to just feel maybe better about ourselves because we, we want to feel good and we want to feel like we're, we're trying to make a difference and at the same time and show that we are really committed to living outside or whatever it is, but it became part, it becomes part of people's identity and, and it, and it just started to get in the way of both teaching children and also, you know, running a school or a business because it's very difficult to run it because it's very individualistic. It's really about how can I define myself apart from everyone else? And I remember going to a, uh, a, like a business meeting where, you know, local business, retired businessmen, they call it like the executive service corps, I think in some places where, where, where people who are retired will kind of say, Hey, we'll weigh in on your business, look at what you do, and then give you suggestions on how to improve that. And I remember going to one of their meetings, I was in a program for about a year and they would just ask me lots of questions. And, you know, in between that, you know, like as we're doing the program, I can see that these guys are like playing golf all the time and they're going away on vacation and they're, you know, they're retired and they're successful. So they're just like doing all this fun stuff. And meanwhile, I was just like trying to lay this out. And I remember just the whole time resisting anything they told me because I just did not want to be part of them. And they're, you know, they're kind of like, oh, we're going to Florida. We're going to be driving a golf cart and doing whatever. Like I just really resisted that. I was like, oh, I don't want to join them. I don't want to do all that. Meanwhile, you know, other people in my business were like, Ricardo, we got to become more successful. And we le- we have to learn where the problems are in our business to get better so that we can financially survive and grow and do all the things we want to do. And so I started to realize that the underpinnings of some of the things that I learned and then some of the things that I, you know, kind of added in, like, you know, the assumptions I was making were filling in the blanks a little bit, if you will, in say Tom's philosophy or other people's philosophy was starting to really, uh, become impediments for what I was trying to do at, at that point, you know, 10 years, 12 years later. And so I started to then enter the, what I call the collaborator mindset. I started to begin slowly to embrace that. And I, and I did that by, 
going and meeting with people who were stakeholders in like youth education in my area. And I would just have meetings with them and, and I would try to collaborate with them on like, Hey, we're Mavericks and look at what you're doing and look at what I'm doing. And we're, we're, we're outside the system or whatever. And many of them would just take the time to kind of say, Hey, you know, yeah, we're, we're not really outside the system. We're actually trying to work with the system. We're trying to work with this and this and this. We're working with these colleges. We're working with these public schools. Uh, we're working with the Boys and Girls Club. We're working with 4-H. Like I started to suddenly see that there was a network of people that really cared about kids and were working really hard to make a difference. And, you know, over about five years, I went, you know, hey, I can actually help these folks. And they would actually come to me as I started to get to know them. And they would say, Ricardo, we're doing a festival. Could you come out, please, and do what you guys do? Bring a few of your staff, do some really cool activity. It'll be a really awesome feather in our cap if we could have you guys come out there and do that. And then they would say, hey, you know, somebody, one of our donors decided to give us, you know, $800 to have you come out for the day. And I was like, $800? Now you're talking my language. Boom. I would show up there and we would do a fantastic job. And then before you knew it, all these other agencies would remember that over like the next three or four years, people would just be calling us and saying, Hey, we're doing a festival. Hey, we're doing an event. Uh, Hey, we're commemorating, uh, you know, a trailhead or something. And so we would then be invited to be part of a celebration or whatever. It was, it felt really good. It felt really good to do that. And I suddenly started realizing like, Hey, those people that are the directors of these other nature centers and other places, they're kind of just like me. They're a little like a rebel in some ways if you get underneath everything. But at the same time, they're also really working with other people in the community, other businesses, other stuff. And it, it helped me to understand that, you know, collaborators really see the problems of the world and the community and they try to change things without losing a sense of themselves but they also see themselves as part of the collective as well. Like, in other words, they see the problem, but they also see themselves as part of humanity, part of the community. Whereas like the Maverick thing was kind of like, oh, we're outside of that. We don't need you. We don't want you. We don't want, we don't want that. But hey, by the way, how come you're not coming to our program? Whereas the collaborating was more about saying, hey, we're going to be, we're going to be part of a group of people trying to solve some problems. And I started to see these other educators and organizations really as these stakeholders who are really trying to address this and, and that they were actually excited to meet me when I wasn't, uh, carrying the, you know, the maverick mindset. You know, if I started to kind of come off as I'm better than everyone and being obnoxious, which I'm sure I was for a long time. But when I set that, when I set that down, and started to just say, Hey, I'm, I'm here. And what are you guys doing? And and had more curiosity, everything started to change for us. And I really understood that, you know, collaborators understand that change takes time. It takes time to undo problems that have been, you know, hundreds of years in the making that we're now living in and that it's not going to happen overnight, you know? And so I, I would see, you know, like a collaborator as someone who, is going to like really pick our battles strategically. We know that we need to make lots and lots of changes, but we have to then kind of pick one. And then we have to say, Hey, what can we work on and how can we do it and get paid to do it? And, or or find someone who will pay us like a funder or donors. 
And how can we make a difference? And also, how does that difference fit into a larger whole so that we can then be building something as we move through our professional lives? And yeah, I mean, a lot of times for the maverick mindset, a lot of the maverick folks that I would talk to and and that I still talk to today, they will oftentimes say things like, well, I don't want to be part of the system, so therefore I'm not even going to try to solve them because the whole thing just needs to be getting rid, gotten rid of. The whole thing needs to collapse. And then out of that, the good things will all start to happen. And I saw that a little bit as, oh, you just don't really want to get your hands dirty. Like That's how I started to look at it was, all right, yeah, so maybe you just don't want, don't want to do the work of becoming a nature therapist or you don't want to do the work of becoming a teacher or you, and, and I started to then apply that, uh, you know, Hey, collaborators are better. You know, that mindset. And I was like, no, 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 no. They just let them do their thing. They're doing great. They're just choosing not to do that. And honestly, if that's their choice, that's probably the right choice for them. But that, but that purity mindset and that very highly idealized, like all or nothing, you know, kind of, uh, situation was something that I had to outgrow because I had to, it was, I saw how how it was limiting me from actually making a difference in my community and also getting financial security and so on and so forth. So anyway, I I don't know. I'm hoping this is making sense and that I'm hoping people are not, as you're listening to this, not feeling like I'm putting any, in either of these sides down, like, or, you know, parts of this pie. Uh, there was a, an elder, a Mohawk elder named Jake Swamp, who was a really wonderful mentor. He actually kind of pioneered this whole tree of peace ceremony thing that he did for people all over the world. He, he planted trees and shared the, the peace uh, makers stories. I did, I was fortunate enough to be in a program with him for a number of weeks down in New Mexico. And one of the things he always would say all the time, I mean, man, all the time he would say, Ricardo, these problems didn't happen overnight. They didn't get, they didn't show up overnight and they're not going to be cured overnight. So we need to be able to enjoy ourselves while we try to save the world. Like we need to play more volleyball. He'd always say more volleyball, like let, okay, we've been really serious for like three hours. We all need to go and have some fun and unwind. And, and honestly, he's right. He's a hundred percent right. When I'm in that, when I was in that kind of like you know, maverick mindset or that very focused mindset, I would just be like, well, get out of the way, old man. We're going to work our butts off and solve this, you know? And that's what I would feel back in the day. But then as I got older, I was like, yeah, he's right. He was, he's a hundred percent right when he says this, because I could see that being obsessed and being ultra focused and, and all of that does not necessarily, it actually gets in your way. It got in my way, I should say, not necessarily what and it is for anyone else. So when I think of this collaborator mindset, I realize like when I'm working with a group of people, I can't throw anybody under the bus ever. I don't want to throw any of my collaborate, you know, my, anybody else under the bus. I don't want to throw, I don't want to throw my friends or anything, you know, just even in like sort of joking ways or whatever, like nobody wants to work with someone who's putting other people down. So I, you know, and I'm not necessarily perfect at it because I do like to, I have a sarcastic sense of humor and all that, but I started to realize like, I really want to be seen as lifting other people up and as opposed to tearing anybody down. I'm not actually going to get any advantage that if I tear down two or three other industries 
you know, our agencies or organizations by standing on that, everybody in that room will know what I'm doing and they will actually disapprove of me more than if I just do my thing. And, you know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have to learn that a, a lot. I had to, I, it, I learned it very quickly because I said, yeah, these people are not stupid. The, the, I'm not actually getting any traction. This is, there's no advantage to be better than or to put down or, or, you know, it's okay to be critical of something, but not do it in a way that is trying to get traction. And I think po- hopefully people understand what I'm trying to get at. And, and I think like collaborators also, we try to follow the rules, but we also work hard actively to change the rules that don't fit, that, that would make things that would make it better. So I want to just end before I, before I do here, I want to just say, you know, what are the, what's the advantage of the maverick mindset? You know, what are some of the advantages of the collaborative mindset? And I will say that when I was that maverick, you know, being able to like focus and learn these wilderness skills, I needed to feel like I could learn them in a way that was outside of society and I could just focus and I could just set aside those feelings a little bit or work through those feelings while being outside of it. So there was a tremendous uh, focusing ability. There was a tremendous amount of building, trying to build myself up through actually learning real skills, you know, focusing on all the elements of wilderness throughout, like, you know, learning about plants and trees and tracking and weather systems and birds and, you know, the whole thing, medicinal plants and, you know, all the different techniques of fire making and flint napping and like just leather craft. I mean, it just goes on and on. And by really having a sense of myself and, and that I could build a sense of myself that didn't feel like I was betraying myself by say, becoming a public school teacher at that time. It, it, it was, it was good. I felt like there was some healing that was happening in there. And it also just propelled me to excel at what I was doing. You know, Tom would often say not to be, not to be better than anyone else, but to be as good as I could be for myself and for people that I might help. So it was a, a very, uh, there was an altruistic thing. And there was also a part of like trying to get healthy and trying to do the best I could. And I think that that is a a really important piece. Like I do know that that helped focus me as a young, younger man, uh, young man with ADHD that I was completely unaware of. Um, it was a very, very big help to actually get me motivated and pushed to do stuff, you know, and, and to not get sidetracked or whatever. The other thing I'm going to mention about, about the valid points about being a maverick is that, you know, for a lot of people that I know who, who want to be outside the system, they make really good points about capitalism and about our modern way of life. And like they'll oftentimes say, you know, the modern, our modern life is just destructive to life on earth, you know, plants, birds, animals. It is not a good system. You know, there are good things that are in it, but it overall, it is a very, very destructive system for communities, for families, for people. Uh, and, and these are just, in my opinion, facts. And I a hundred percent understand that and have internalized that. I, I get that at that base level. These systems are destructive. And 
you know, the rest- restrictions that we have in our lives as a result of this oftentimes is really, it's oftentimes just really about money. You know, it's really about controlling and, and all that. And it's, it's really a system that was really born out of trauma. You know, it's an, it's a, it's a trauma evolved program. It's just evolved to out of trauma and, and, and creates trauma everywhere it goes in that way. And so trying to turn the tide of it, like I do understand that people that are kind of like, Hey, I'm outside the system. I'm just have no interest in that. I, I get what they're saying. And, and I agree with them. Like there's, I'm not even like, I agree that that's probably the case. However, there is also the fact that I have children. I want to be able to go on vacation. <laughs> there is the fact that we live in a world where you, it's really not, it's very, very difficult to get and have those things to be able to function in the modern world without actually having a way to be paid financially and also to, you know, maybe own property or whatever it is that can help establish your family and, and move that legacy forward. So, you know, it, but it's, but it's a useful thing and there are things that are very true about it. So just, just so you know, the other thing I'll mention is I know people who are, you know, living in a tiny home and they, you know, have a very, very low impact and they make beautiful nature crafts and they sell those and they, they live a very, very simplistic, like incredibly low impact life. And they're an inspiration to a lot of people. And, uh, you know, those are good things. And, and I, you know, there are people that are literally saying, Hey, we all need to be hunter gatherers. Like think of like links, uh, Vilden school out in, uh, Eastern Washington, I think it is. And, you know, the work that some of the folks are doing, you know, teaching people bushcraft and like these stone age skills and having a powerful experience. Those are really important. Those are, there's, those are an important part of the ecosystem of forest educators because they serve as a way to inspire us to go out, get a completely different immersive experience. And I, I really want everyone to know that that, you know, wherever you fall on the spectrum of this is it's good, you know, it's good and we, we need you. However, if you do, if you're trying to also be in the collaborative world, but you have the vestiges of, of the, the maverick mindset, um, it's really helpful to go in and, you know, inside yourself. I mean, I had to scour my program for all signs of that maverick mindset and really, you know, turn it around. I had to just do that over and over again. Every time something would pop up like that, I would have to go through it and spend some time and go, yeah, is that really critical? Is doing that or saying that story or is that part of what I want my Hawk Circle legacy to be or my, you know, my teaching approach to be? And I'm I'm sure that I still have it. I mean, heck, even I'm even doing this podcast is probably rebellious in, in its own way. Um, but but the idea is that you just want to become more conscious of it, and you want to know what what you're trying to do. So it, it depends a lot on what your ultimate goal is. So if your goal is to say try to transform modern education, and you know change you know and get you know ten naturalists working in your local school district with kids in front of kids every day. Um, then I would highly urge you to use the collaborative approach and that mindset as much as you can. 
you can still be a radical person with a radical, you know, radical agenda and everything else. But, but that radical agenda will get in the way of superintendents and teachers and other people if they feel like you're, you know, you're advocating like the end of society or something like that. It, it's a, obviously going to be an impediment or a barrier for you. So it's better to kind of keep that, you know, as something that's really for you, you know, that, that you're going to still hold that understanding maybe, but you're just not necessarily going to put that front and center as your identity. That's the key. That'll really, it'll really help a lot. And like, I, I really feel that when we, when we look at this idea of collaborating, we're, you know, we're way better at doing that because we, we really don't have tribes or, you know, or, or we didn't descend from, you know, clans of one person. It's always been family units, extended family, and then, you know, small groups that, connect with each other and and then make plans and and you know have strategies for going hunting and and achieving objectives and and building a longhouse together like it, it makes all of us better when we work together um that's especially true in environmental and nature education because right right now there's a big push right now to collaborate and to try to do more work with groups that traditionally have not been invited to the table you know, talking about minorities, we're talking about African Americans, we're talking about Latinos, we're talking about, you know, we're just wanting to have everybody be at the table. And that is really important. And, and part of being at the table means really listening to those folks and then, and, and having some wiggle room to just uh, let other perspectives um, also be there as, as equally valid as, as ours. So, I, again, I'm going to kind of close with this because I hope I haven't said anything that's getting me into trouble or hot water here. I'm just going to end by saying I really love and, and have been inspired by people like Tom Brown and Jake Swamp and, you know, other very charismatic teachers who have, who teach a wealth of, of knowledge and uh, philosophies and so forth. And I'm really appreciative of you know, people who are really holding the line. Uh, and, you know, I think of, uh, I, I guess I would say back in, uh, I don't want to say, I don't really, I can't, I'm not good at, at remembering the years, but in the early nineties, like I was part of the earth first movement, Edward Abbey, um, you know, the monkey wrench gang kind of people. I, I used to love reading about them because they would be taking this direct action to save the rainforest or they would be, you know, doing things and and trying to really call out um, the fact that many times, you know, the Sierra Club and other agencies were reluctant to go up against big business and they had no problem going out there and doing something really radical. And they, their actions actually made it so that, you know, the businesses would go, Hey, Sierra club, do you want to come to the table and help us be more sensitive to the environment? Because we don't want to deal with them. They can't, we can't even rationally have a discussion with them. They're insane. And so indirectly, even though those actions may not have stopped something from happening exactly, they oftentimes led to some good outcomes or, or better outcomes than if they hadn't been there at all. And, and they were inspiring and, and it, it was nice. It's nice to know that there are people out there 
who really see this planet and and the people and the animals as as you know viable valid um, incredible forms of life that we can't just wipe out because we need a new mall uh, or whatever it is so I really appreciate all of these positions and 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 I appreciate people like the executive service corps that are like hey we're gonna take time out of our time out of our day to you know try to help some young person out who clearly is struggling <laughs> and I can only imagine what they would have said if I could have heard them you know sitting around at lunch later and going like hey what's this Ricardo Sierra what a what a bag of uh, acorns that he has you know whatever but they were very kind and they were really uh, nice people who worked really hard so Best of luck to you wherever you are in the journey. I hope this has been <laughs> helpful in some way. Just keep doing what you're doing, whatever that might be. And all I know is that our world has never needed forest education more than it does right now. And I appreciate you. I will see you in another episode coming up in a few days. So take care. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.